Well, our names are Teresa and Gumby. Welcome to Escaping Society. We wrote our own song so we wouldn't have to pay for anyone else's copyright infringement. And we live in a van and we eat from the trash. Making this podcast open for cash. You better listen up because we probably won't last. Because we can't compete with nonsense. Hypnotizing nonsense. Welcome to Season 8 of Escaping Society. This is Mile Marker 85, Episode 85. I can't believe it. Yeah, I can't believe we're on Season (laughs) 8. We are here back in North Carolina. Teresa's back. Welcome back, Teresa. Yay! uh, It's good to be back. Um, When I was out in Utah visiting with my mom and then going to Ohio to visit with family, uh, Gumby, you had asked me some things about, like, what... uh, what it was like to be back in the indoors world. Yeah, I was actually feeling a little uh, insecure when I asked you that because <laughs> I had visited a friend. And, uh, you know, one of the things she said is like she kind of implied like, oh, she's having second thoughts about coming back. I'm a woman. Trust me. And uh, I was thinking like, um, you know, I don't know. Like what? is it like because since we moved into the van and started doing the hobo thing it's pretty much been full time and the little breaks we take when we're house sitting or whatever we've been together so we kind of reinforce each other's uh lifestyle and philosophy so i was thinking like man it must be so different to go back into that world you know where like you wake up and there's a coffee machine when you want coffee uh there's a kitchen there's indoor plumbing there's a hot shower there's a big tv all this stuff a bed inside climate control you know all this stuff that has not been part of our world for over two years now so yeah i was uh definitely curious and i was saying so what is it like being back in that world yeah and especially for listeners who might be thinking about trying van life or some other alternative way whether you're like backpacking hitchhiking and then coming back to uh, a, a a house or some sort of indoor housing situation. And I told Gumby, I'm not going to lie. I mean, it is nice to just push a button and have a hot beverage or turn on the spigot and have hot water. But it did come at an immediate cost, which was surprising to me. Um, One of the things that I really recognized was I was so disconnected. I was in these walls and where my mom lives at, um, it's very windy. Even when the sun is out, it's, it's harsh. Like you'll get a sunburn in winter cause it's higher elevation. And, uh, I just didn't feel uh, like I didn't know anybody. I didn't know, um, except maybe the ravens. Like I didn't know any of the birds. I didn't really know any of the plants. Um, I guess there was like sagebrush and cactus and stuff but (laughs) other than that I didn't really feel connection and that was uh that was sad to me and along with that disconnect I was bored I was there um basically to support my mom my dad passed and um 
just to sit next to her when she was making phone calls or like sit with her when she was getting on the computer to check emails and stuff. She even had me go with her to the gas station to pump gas because she knew how she just, she just said she had lost all her confidence. And so my time out there looked a lot like waiting until my mom said, Hey, Teresa, can you come help me? (laughs) Which could be every five minutes. Um, so I couldn't really get into a book or like even immerse myself in an online experience, whether that was like watching a movie or, or something like internet that. porn. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I realized Facebook, I got back in, involved in Facebook. I kind of refollowed people that I was just like, Oh my God, I don't want to have this in my timeline, but I gave it a shot. You know, I, I refollowed a bunch of my Facebook friends and Jesus Christ, I just feel like it's such a waste of time. Sorry. <laughs> like, People are crazy. Uh, yeah, there's there are some lessons to be learned from uh, from going back inside. And yeah, a lot of it was how much I really value the way that Gumby and I are experimenting and exploring learning outside. I mean, for the past two years, I could count on two hands, maybe that's how many times we were inside before this happened. We had gotten a, a few times, we had gotten some hotel rooms, and that was it. Yeah, I've lost count. I would say it's higher than two, but most of the time, I mean, our baseline is definitely out here more uh, tied to nature. And sometimes like, uh, what would I say, like uh, nesting in the van during the ugly weather. And I will say, like, as I told you, that time you were gone, as I recorded in my week last season, um, <laughs> it was a good time not to be here. Um, Jesus Christ. Like, these mile marker episodes, they're meant to be check-ins. You know, if you've never if you've uh, never listened to one of our episodes before, or at least not a mile marker, we're kind of like, okay, we're uh, this is mile marker 85. We're 85 episodes into this van life experiment, experience, whatever you want to call it. Um so that's part of what we're trying to do now is just kind of check in, like, what's been on our mind, how we're doing. And uh, related to the van life um, topic, you know, it was interesting, like, we were headed to Florida. I won't go into this too much because I already covered it last season. But um, one of the things that we'd figured out is go to the mountains in the summer because it's too damn hot and oppressive and buggy down here. It's just not pleasant. And then in the cooler weather, you know, the mountains get pretty damn cold and windy and more likely to have snow and icy roads, treacherous roads. So it made more sense to come here. But at least this year, and I suspect this is something... Uh, a pattern. A pattern, yeah. <laughs> um, towards the end of winter, I'm just so drained. I am just so overdone with winter. You know, I can't... It's not like being in a house where I can just kind of veg out on TV and my nice, nice warm couch with a little blanket and a cup of hot cocoa and my little fuzzy socks, you know. Um, it's It really feels rough um, the way we're living towards the end of winter. So I'm thinking, I'm still thinking our circle of like, um, you know, making this as survivable as possible, as pleasant as possible, is maybe the autumn and the first part of winter here around the Piedmont in North Carolina, and then the last part of winter into spring going down to Florida, and then coming back up to the mountains for the summer. I'm thinking maybe our circle needs to be three primary locations. And as we've talked about, we don't want to just turn our lives into an existence, you know. Um, Yeah, because then you're just doing what 
I was kind of doing in the house. You're just doing it in a van, which I don't know if that's better. <laughs> yeah. A van can definitely be another trap. You know, escaping your house is great, but you got to be careful not to make the next thing into a trap. And even if you escape your van, your mind, you know, like living out of your backpack hitchhiking, you get stuck in your head. There's always a a trap to be escaped from. It's not, not always some external or imposed thing. Um, so yeah, kind of figuring out our loop that, you know, would be a primary baseline, those three locations. But also we want to keep it open, you know, for adventures. Like, man, you know, I just, I feel like breaking out of that pattern and going to see like Flagstaff, Arizona, for yeah. instance, um, or visiting Teresa's mom in Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, to try to find that balance, that middle way, as the Buddha says, between what works, what's really smart from a survival perspective, and uh, what is liberating. So we're not stuck in another rut, another trap, another routine. Um, and that is a fine dance that, that we're exploring and have not got it figured out. But every year I feel optimistic. I feel like I've figured out a little bit more. I don't feel like I'm regressing. I feel like I am progressing towards something. Something else I just thought about when you asked me, uh, like, what's it like being inside? And this, I don't think I even realized this until I came back, like my re-entry into van life. I started taking everything more as like an entitlement, Mm. like all the conveniences. I didn't have to go gather firewood to get warm. My mom, like, she, like, got up before me and, and turned the furnace up and the gas fireplace turned on. and Oh, yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> what, I, I have to deal with that sometimes with, like, our, our things in van life. But I, I, I get what you're saying about, like, it's even more uh, harder to avoid when you're in a house. Like, like, you're lucky to have a coffee machine. If you've never had a coffee machine and you bought a coffee machine, like, for a short while, you're like, oh, my God, what a blessing, what a gift. And then suddenly it doesn't feel like a gift anymore. It just feels like something that's supposed to be. And then that one morning that the coffee machine isn't working, <laughs> you feel like, God damn it, I deserve this. It's supposed to work. Yeah. It's a, you know, yeah, that's that's definitely one of those mental traps. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, my own experience being inside, there's something about being inside that like encourages that more. You don't escape it by being in the van, but it's a little, I don't know, easy because you just know some things are going to be rough. You kind of have resigned yourself. You've wrapped your mind around it a little bit more. Yeah. And I was, I was scared because, um, coming back to North Carolina, it's just now spring. I mean, things are starting to leaf out. Thank God. (laughs) Although it did rain, um, last night. So things are still kind of muddy and mucky, but warm. Yeah. You're coming from a month and a half inside, man, my month and a half, like, (laughs) I am. Oh, God, it's so good. It's like saved my life that it is spring now. (laughs) And uh, I know this is kind of like going on my own little like tangent here, but I was thinking about allergies this morning. I feel like my allergies are getting worse every spring. Didn't you tell me last spring, I think you ran across some kind of research or something that suggested that the pollen is actually getting worse every spring? It sounds like something I would have... One of us did, and, you know, I'm not going to, I don't know too much about that. Feel free to check it out yourself, but that's a dilemma I was thinking about this morning that applies to so many things, is I never quite know where the line is between me getting older and weaker by implication as my body wears down and what externally is changing. I never quite know how much it's one or the other. 
because it's not likely to be perfectly in balance. You know that I'm equally getting older and weaker and more susceptible as the pollen is equally getting stronger. You know, so it's that's kind of a wiggly little dance. Again, that middle way, you know, trying to find that that balance. Yeah, I tried to find a balance when I was out there in Utah. And what that looked like for me was one of the first things I wasn't sure how my mom was going to be. I thought she might be a complete train wreck and just like be in the bed all the time and not be able to drive or, you know, she told me the first time she went out was to take my dad's library books back. And she, uh, she, she said, I know this is, it's like the dumbest thing to worry about, but I just went out and then she like ran <laughs> a red light and I was wow. like, okay, maybe I should get a bike in case we need to get stuff from town. Remember when we came all the way back from the mountains to return library books? <laughs> oh, my God. Well, yeah, I guess there is something. It is the dumbest thing. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, so when I went out there, uh, one of the first things I did was, and this is a good, good skill, uh, transferable skill to have. When you go to a new area, look for those maybe Facebook pages or Craigslist. Nextdoor um, is another website. Um, whatever you can do to connect. And I asked for a bike, uh, and I got one. It wasn't the greatest bike, but, uh, it worked and it got me out of the house. It got me, uh, to have a little bit of space and, and exercise and fresh air. And in the desert, when you have fresh air, you also get sandblasted. What did you do with that bike? Uh, I was, so I was going to give it away when I left, but, my neighbor, well, my neighbor, my mom's neighbor, he was best friends with my dad and he fixed the bike up for me. And I felt like, uh, I don't know. This might be something that at least for now I'll keep. Um, you're keeping it at your mom's. Yeah. And that was kind of against what I wanted to do, but then I realized, and this was something else that I was going to talk about was just like relationships, you know, family tribe, that connection, um, and those connections that, God, I didn't, I didn't know I was going to be learning about these neighbors that like this guy had, he was with my dad when my dad was dying on the side of a a canyon. So, you know, there's a connection there that whether I want it or not, it's there. And the guy's super nice. And just, like I said, fixed up my bike for me. I went out one day and this was something that, uh, I guess I was, I wasn't planning, but I knew I wanted to go out and feel like I did or like kids do when they have a kid adventure. A kid adventure could be anything from like playing in the mud to going down to a Creek or whatever, but I'm in the desert. So I took my bike and I decided to go up this hill and I found all these papers that were like, police reports from this like drug bust gone bad. And I just thought that was really cool. That was like my little kid adventure. Like, Oh wow. There's all this, like, there was like an autopsy of this guy that they killed. The police actually shot him. And Mm. yeah, it was interesting. So, um, so that was like my, not necessarily middle way, but it was something to get me out and to, to like try to be connected to the place where I was at. Yeah, and you're talking about relationships. Uh, that's another thing that we're we're both like, even before the pandemic. Ironically, right before the pandemic, we had a conversation of like, we need to reach out more, you know, kind of socialize more. And then, you know, the pandemic, everybody's sheltering at home, like six feet away, you know, wear a mask, like 
all the things that we were already recognizing we're not good at by socializing are now like there's a precedent for them. There are regulations like they are extremely encouraged, if not mandated. Um, So we're thinking, you know, again, like, man, part of the way we live in this van and everything, it's really important to connect. And um, wow, what weird times. Like I know people that have barely been out of their house this whole fucking time. And it's been over a year now. Yeah, that blows me away. And if you're only perceiving what's happening out in the world through what you're getting in your house, through the media, <laughs> oh my God, you have no idea what what is happening out there. There is a lot more people around that are not wearing masks that have decided, fuck this, like, I will accept the less than 1% chance of dying from this virus. Um, and hell, I'm getting uh, talked to by a homeschool group right now who are very adamantly saying, um, we don't wear masks, you know, to hell with the social distancing. Will you do a program for our kids? And, uh, that's not getting covered much on the news. And when it does, it's in a very negative light. Trump supporters, uh, anti-vaxxers, uh, conspiracy theorists, um, they probably follow QAnon, you know, whatever, <laughs> racist, fascist pigs, but just normal people, you know, some of those neighbors that you used to like, but maybe you haven't talked to lately, um, a lot more of them are out there and wanting to connect. So if you're feeling like you're losing your shit and you want to connect, try a little harder. There are people who will meet you halfway. Um, And another thing that I'm thinking about with relationships is I was looking for people to interview as I do. um, I'm starting to do at the end of all of our seasons. I just kind of throw out a bunch of uh, a message to a bunch of people that's basically, you know, I'd love to interview you. You know, if you want to come up with some questions, I'll come up with some questions, et cetera, et cetera. And quite a few people responded with, uh, they're really in bad places in their life right now. There is a lot of depression, which I'm sure doesn't come as a big surprise to anybody. Um, but yeah, think about your short life, you know, like, man, if you got to do something that seems irresponsible, if you got to break some rules, I couldn't encourage you more to do it. Think about like, if this was a dream and you know you're going to wake up, because even though I don't think life is a dream as a, as in it's not real, I don't think it's the only reality. I think there is something to be said to looking at life in kind of more of a dreamlike way than as this uh, empirical reality, uh, the only reality kind of thing. And we are going to wake up. Whatever you consider that to mean, whether you wake up in heaven, hell, or just this life is over and you become the trees, the air, the water, you know, you just let go of this identity. We're going to wake up from this existence. And how do you want to spend that dream? If you knew you were dreaming, this was a lucid dream, and suddenly you realize, oh, this is just a dream. Is what you're doing right now what you'd be doing in that dream? That short, limited dream full of like mysteries and adventures uh, just beyond every horizon? Um, That's what I've started saying a lot to these people that I've been in conversation with that are really depressed, some of them suicidal, You know, don't rush death. It's coming. That's the one thing you don't have to work for. It is coming. Mm -hmm. But if you're really feeling like you're at the end of your rope, take some fucking chances. Go out there. uh, Streak down the the center street of your neighborhood. (laughs) Do something fucking crazy. Uh, You know, put on a big buffalo hat and go, like, storm the Capitol. I don't know. Do some crazy shit. Um, Anyway, that's my rant. (laughs) Well... Uh, yeah, the whole COVID thing traveling around 
When my brother and I were flying out from North Carolina, we, we actually took a plane. It was, you know, on such short notice, I just had to get whatever ticket, plane ticket I could. I really don't like American Airlines, but that's what I ended up with. And uh, the, the five and a half hour flight from Charlotte, North Carolina to Phoenix was slam packed. Not a seat between, not skipping rows or any sort of, no, there were no empty seats. And so if you think that like all of these arbitrary measures are being followed, even by airlines that are like being subsidized by the government, think again. And when we got to, we actually ended up, um, like I said, these were flights that I just had to take whatever the first thing was that I could afford. So we ended up flying from Charlotte to Phoenix and Phoenix to Vegas. And when we got to Las Vegas, oh my God, people packed everywhere. Now I'm saying we didn't stay in Las Vegas, but it was just pandemonium. Nobody was staying even a foot apart. Speaking of Las Vegas, Teresa generously sent me some, uh, cannabis edibles from Las Vegas. <laughs> and, uh, well, you they know, were from Mesquite. Yeah. So is that near Las Vegas? Uh, it's about an hour and some change away. But you sent me that and like, I asked, how are they? And Teresa's like, oh, they're all right. And, uh, usually Teresa's more of a lightweight with stuff than I am. <laughs> so I figured that must mean they're really mild. So I take it out and there's this brownie pack with like two brownies in it delicious brownies even if they didn't get you high and a chocolate candy bar mint chocolate i love mint chocolate so i end up eating both brownies and then i'm like screw it that chocolate looks good so i eat all the chocolate and uh only to find out later much later that Teresa had eaten a quarter of one brownie <laughs> so i basically overdosed on this shit i managed to get the van parked next to a grocery store that oh uh wouldn't call too much attention to me and i thought i was gonna die i thought they were gonna find my body and uh somebody was gonna have to call 911 um as i'm like I was trying to watch a movie on our laptop or a TV show, The Americans. Really good. And uh, I'm watching that, and suddenly I get so high I can't watch TV. <laughs> like, it's it's too intense. So I managed to turn the computer off, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, if they find my body, they're going to find, like, Teresa's name on this box. And, like, I don't want to get her in trouble. So in my high state, I can't figure out how to get out of the van. <laughs> oh, my God. And I tear up the label into little bitty pieces like confetti. Um, oh, my God. And it took me, like, two days to recover. I was just so doped up. So, uh, yeah, me and edibles. We ain't friends. I'm, you, I'm a toker. I can just take one toke and call it done. If you're going to experiment, experiment small and build up from there. <laughs> Sorry about that, Gumby. Uh, glad you made it. And Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, God, yeah. And, and just traveling around and in Utah, like, I mean, I'd say a good half of the people that I saw weren't wearing masks. And then I went to Ohio and uh, visiting family there, and their library, their public libraries open in my hometown. And come back to North Carolina, libraries are still closed. Yay, Democratic governor. Yeah, and so that's when I came up with the term the arbitrarium. Mm. That's what we live in. Um, arbitrary. The arbitrarium. And the, I guess the other thing about my trip that I'm just going to um, wrap up here is I met some nice people 
And that was refreshing because being on an airplane, um, and, and just being, being a person that generally like lives outside and is trying to lead a life that's very simple. There's a certain demographic of people that are on airplanes (laughs) and they're, they're different. Um, they're definitely, uh, more involved with all sorts of stuff and things, but I made it through and there was this one lady that she seemed like, I didn't know her, but she seemed like a very familiar type person to me. I'd advise you to always be careful around people that are involved in stuff and things. Yeah, exactly. Well, this lady was nice and uh, she ended up being like a really higher up person in doTERRA, which is some sort of oils. Like they, you know, people work from home and they're like selling oils and stuff, but she was really nice and really just down to earth. And then there was this, uh, this rental car place that after flying and flying all day with barely any food, very little water, cause they don't serve that on airplanes anymore. And you can't bring it, like you can't bring um, water on the plane. So I, uh, unless you buy it at the overpriced place in the airport. So this guy at the rental car place, he recognized that I was just like completely bedraggled. And he got me a cup of water and he actually gave me a uh, an upgrade on the rental car so I could get to my uncle's house and crash that night. Yeah, and I was thinking how awful it was like, I'm not obviously not uh, overly worried about COVID-19. Um, but I was thinking, man, getting on a plane, God, that, that sounds like the worst place to be if there's any kind of danger of something like that. But I've, I've since heard research that some people say that's one of the safest places you can be because of the, uh, recirculated air, the ventilation. Um, and I don't know, I don't know much personally, just from what I heard, but I thought one thing that was pointed out when I heard that, and I heard this, I think from Monica Perez in the propaganda report, um, but she pointed out not one person that has COVID has it been traced back to you probably got it on an airplane. Mm. And I thought that was interesting because I, I don't personally know of anybody that any story like that. So, Well, I'll say this. I might look like a fool and I know this, you know, kind of flies in the face of a lot of the things that we talk about. But if I have to go on an airplane, I'm not saying it's COVID, no. but I swear to God, I think I'm just going to wear a mask because I've gotten sick from being on airplanes before and it's bad. It's been like serious, can't shake the cough bad. And this was well before COVID. So you know what? People might think I'm a weirdo, but if I'm going to be in a bottled up airplane, maybe they do have recycled air, but I'm just going to wear a mask because to me, in my mind, it makes sense. Not because somebody tells me. And Gumby, when I was gone, you were um, you were staying busy and making memes about uh, Walt Whitman's. I am a mean meme machine. <laughs> a mean meme machine. Yeah, one of my my uh, things I'm enjoying now. Um, we love "Song of the Open Road" by Walt Whitman. We uh, did a podcast on it. Yeah, so we did a podcast episode called I Sing the Open Road, which basically all it is is us taking turns reading verses from this really long, and if you've ever read Walt Whitman poems, they are almost comically long. (laughs) You know, the first time I saw a Walt Whitman poem in its entirety, I was like, holy shit, this guy doesn't know when to shut up. But he says read his poems out loud in the open air with passion, and when you do that, you realize the length of this poem, it's, it's about like exuberance. There's so much to say, you know, and it's like, wow, this really works. So, uh, 
I'm taking little excerpts from that poem because it's always been it's been my tradition for many years now to take the verses of Song of the Open Road. I think there's like somewhere between like 12 and 16 mm-hmm. and share one a day on Facebook and you know hardly anybody ever likes it. You know, maybe one or two people will be like, "Oh yeah, all right, poetry. Oh, I like poetry." Um, but man, they're, they're so deep, especially if you've ever done any hoboing, hitchhiking, uh, even like living out of a car, traveling around, you'll recognize so much that is so familiar in this poem. And this poem was written 165 years ago. So I am fascinated that a poem written about being on the road 165 years ago, I think either the Civil War was still happening at that time or it was right after the Civil War. That long ago, before the automobile had been invented, um, that so much of that still rings so true about the spirit and the energy of being on the road. So I'm going through all of our little pictures, you know, of hitchhiking, uh, survival situations, different ways we've been on the road roughing it, roughing it and kind of matching excerpts from the poem to pictures that I have. And I've been releasing like one of those a day. It's kind of my new way to sort of celebrate spring through Facebook and to share with anybody who appreciates it. But uh, kind of my philosophy on stuff like that is if I derive happiness and satisfaction from it, I gave up a long time ago uh, feeling like I need to be validated by a bunch of people liking it or approving it. Uh, I've even kind of flip-flopped it so much that when something doesn't get a lot of likes, I kind of feel proud of that. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) If I'm in the middle of the herd, I'm doing something wrong. Mm. So, yeah, I've been working on that, and I'm uh, putting together an album called I Sing the Open Road. So if that sounds like something you might be interested in, uh, check it out. I'm pretty proud of it, and it's on Facebook. Yeah, are you posting them on the Escaping Society page? I am, and uh, once I get done with the album, get to the end of this poem, which who knows when it's going to be. Like I said, it's a long poem. (laughs) But, yeah, I'm going to share the album. Um, Yeah. And you can make a calendar out of it. I can. (laughs) And another thing about Teresa coming back, her hair in this last uh, month and a half has gotten much longer. And I've been like having fun uh, coming up with different names for her stages of hair. <laughs> and right now we're like at a toss up between Daryl from Walking Dead and Janice from uh, Three's Company. <laughs> Depending if it's like wet and or greasy looking, I look more like Janice because yeah. it's darker. Come on, knock on our door. <laughs> Uh, one of the movies that Gumby wanted to watch when I got back was Nomadland. It had been uh, kind of, I don't know, shared on Facebook, and Gumby saw the previews for it. And I was so excited because like, they, they did such a cool job of putting out little trailers that were coupled with uh, readings from books like John Steinbeck, even some Walt Whitman. You know, So there'd be a little trailer of, of clips from the movie with a poem kind of threaded through it. Mm-hmm. And it looks so good. And Nomadland was uh, about this main character who was... Uh, Played was, by Frances McDormand. Yeah, she was exploring uh, living out of a van. Not a minivan, more like a camper RV type van. And uh, yeah, I guess for me, I thought it was very realistic, especially the people that she met, the people she interacted with. But Gumby and I, I think we both agree that it was a kind of a downer on van life. And those people weren't only realistic, they were real. There were actually uh, not many actors in this movie. These were people that are actually like nomads in that movie. That's pretty special. So they weren't actors. 
And uh, yeah, and maybe that's why it was so authentic. <laughs> <laughs> so Teresa and I watched that, and uh, we really enjoyed it, especially in the beginning. Um, after we had some time to to watch it and digest it, our opinion changed a little bit. But I'd still say it's got a lot to like about it. There's a lot of authenticity and a lot of things that, again, if you've uh, lived in a van, you'll see a lot of things that, like, oh yeah, yeah, that looks familiar. That rings true. The one thing I just really couldn't uh, I couldn't justify was. The main character, I forgot her name, but she worked like a lot of different jobs all the time. And it was just like, where the hell is your money going? I don't get it. It was like she was so depressed because um, her husband had died, right? Yeah. And so I guess, you know, she fell into that trap. Like she didn't know what to do with her life. So she was just a migrant worker, um, hobo, going around and, and working different jobs. But but then, like, all the fun of it wasn't celebrated. It wasn't shared in the movie. I mean... Yeah, that was my biggest criticism of it. It's Overall, it just has such a melancholy to it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there there's a truth to that. Some people move into their van for melancholy reasons. I'm not saying that, like, that doesn't describe um, anybody's life and that that character couldn't exist and it couldn't be very realistic. I just kind of uh, resented that now this is probably going to be the van life movie. You know, like, I don't know of a lot of movies out there. We saw this lady in the van movie, which again, it was, it was pretty decent, but she was like putting, I mean, absolutely crazy, gone crazy after a tragedy in her life and uh, really emphasizing like she's shitting in bags and putting them outside of the van and everything. And she smells like hell. Yeah. So it's, there's some truth to that. You got to like change your views of what's gross and everything, but it exaggerates certain parts and ignores other parts. And that's what I don't like about these van movies. So again, Nomadland, um, you know, it, it didn't feel like Teresa, the, the life that we have, um, so melancholy. There wasn't much celebration, like no tragedy pushed us into van life. It was more an aspiration that pushed us, or I wouldn't even say pushed us, that, that, that led us to choose van life. Um, we laugh a lot more than the characters in that movie. We work a lot less. Like Teresa said, it seemed like they were always working. Um, and then like financial things would happen and they don't have the money and, and (laughs) they're attached to things. Like when it came time for her van that was getting old and was breaking down and it might be a good idea to get a new van. It's like she was stuck, you know, from some, I don't know, like attachment to this van. And to me, that's so not what we're exploring with our van. Like, I love our van, and as, as long as I can keep it running, I'm going to keep it running. But I recognize, like, it's a thing. You know, when it got, it's to the end of its lifespan, I'm going to choose something different. And I just wish there was another movie out there that depicted more joy in the nomad life. Like, even um, Into the Wild with Christopher McCandless. Yeah, Super I mean, Tramp. It's like, oh, well, everybody focuses on the fact that he, you know, made a mistake and, and killed himself. Yeah, there basically. was, yeah, there was like scenes that depicted some of the joy, some of the beauty. But then at the end, I felt like kind of they wrapped up that story uh, Which, into I mean, the wild his, with like a warning, you know. Yeah, it was his real story, but it wasn't necessarily the way he would tell it. Yeah. The way he would interpret it. It wasn't necessarily not the way he'd interpret it, but it just, to me, is telling that in our culture, you know, we don't, we don't hide those things because it would give them power. Like, Ooh, let's not talk about the hobo. Let's not talk about the nomad. Let's not talk about van life. So it's like, we know we've got to tell these stories, but if you tell them in a certain way from a certain angle, they, they become almost warning tales. And I feel like the warning tales 
which I know another thing that we've been inspired by is reading Fight Club. Warning tales should be told of the people that don't do that shit. <laughs> Warning tales should be told of the people that stay with their job and think their future is all set because that's what their job, you know, you get to be this age, you get retirement, then you get to do all this shit, and then you go on a hike and you don't make it back. Exactly. Yeah, let, let my dad's life not be without a lesson learned. He didn't even, he was retired for two years. He hadn't even gotten his first social security check. And died. And that just is to say, don't wait. I mean, for God's sakes, if there's anything that you could take from that, it's please do not wait until you're ready to retire to start living. Yeah. Give us the warning tales about that life and give us more inspiring tales like Song of the Open Road about that other alternative. And I guess that'll segue into our Back to North Carolina, back to the Mountains to the Sea Trail. (laughs) And uh, the Mountains to the Sea Trail is a trail that goes, well, a trail with quotation marks, goes across the state of North Carolina. Fuck the Mountains to Sea Trail. We have a blog called Fuck the Mountains to the Sea Trail. Yeah, we're going to say our website at the end of this episode, and uh, we have a link there that we've been adding to our blog as we go. We need to update it, actually. Yeah. So the one day, um, well, so we've been doing this Mountains to the Sea Trail. It's been a long time. I think it might have been possibly close to two years since we've been on the trail. It might have been. And we we recognize that we're so rusty and we're having such a hard time because we talked about it several times and just never got around to getting back on it. Mm -hmm. Um, We walked all the way from the coast. We're doing Sea to the Mountain, so we're doing it backwards from uh, the way a lot of people will do it. We're going up. We got right here in our neighborhood, (laughs) Hillsboro, which is right next to Durham. um, And we just stopped. We stalled out. And uh, so... To get going again, I suggested, why don't we try to do a little bit every week and build on it? And for the first time, let's not even camp out. Let's make it a day walk. Let's get there early, walk until 1 o'clock, and turn around, head back to the van. We walked 16 miles that day. I've never walked 16 miles in one day in my entire life. Yeah, it was brutal. And it was only, I mean, when we got to the place where we turned around at one o'clock we were I mean I I could say for myself yeah I felt a little tired but it wasn't it wasn't like a completely undoable thing I mean we did it and then we were going to hitchhike back but nobody picked us up yeah I said it was brutal but and it was like very taxing to walk 16 miles but it was also like a, a day well spent you know like the the weather got really pretty especially towards the end and uh yeah it feels good to go out and just do an adventure like to inhabit your body and inhabit the world Um, and I do love the hitchhiking, even though we didn't get a ride. I love, even though I resent the mountains to sea trail for taking you on all these arbitrary roads, (laughs) I mean, stupid roads, like just back roads that like zigzag through shitty neighborhoods. And what I mean by (laughs) shitty neighborhoods, is like no shoulder, busy roads, like dangerous places to walk. And here's this other road on the porch. Yeah. Crack dealers. (laughs) And you know, if I was buying crack, it'd be wonderful. But how many crackheads are walking the fucking mountains to sea trail? And then there's this other road going parallel to it that is not zigzagging. That's a straight shot with a big wide shoulder that's safer to walk on. They don't have you walking that road. And apparently now, because you got to like find the directions that the mountains to sea oh, trail yeah. dictates, 
they charge you for that. How much did you have to pay for the directions now that used to be free? Uh, $35 for an annual membership. So for one Bullshit. year. Bullshit. Yeah, for one year. Because otherwise it was like $12 or more per segment. And I knew we were going to need more than three segments of directions. So I figured it would just make sense to get that. But yeah, it is. I'm going to write a letter to my representative. <laughs> and it was pretty sweet that day that we were walking and we were going to turn around at one o'clock. We just happened to turn around at exactly the corner of this other place I work. And the day that we had decided to continue for our next segment, you know, one night out this time, um, was right there at this place that the day before I had taught a class on fire making. So it was it was so cool to just be able to like ask the the people on that land, you know, can we park our van here? And you know that that was it worked out perfectly. I mean, the odds against that were yeah. pretty incredible for it to just like oh one o'clock we're right here and didn't even know the route was going to take us past that place. Um, the next day, well, when the next time that we hiked, we decided to stay out for a night. So we had uh, a tarp backpack, the Gumby fashioned out of a tarp. Which I'm going to try something different this time. That was, it got to be pretty uh, uncomfortable at the end. So yeah. I'm going to make one of those little A-frame pack things that, uh, I don't know. I don't know what they're called. They've got a name, but you can just get a few like uh, saplings, make a little notches, time together in a certain way. And you've got a really nice frame that you can just take a tarp and fold everything in the tarp and tie it to the frame. And that's much more comfortable. And what did I have? A day pack? Yeah. We were, I mean, we were only out for a night, so we didn't need to bring too much, but um, it was enough that it was uh, more of a daunting walk than the 16 miles without a backpack. And so we ended up walking about about six and a half miles that day and we took rest at a, this little grove of trees that was so adorable in between two loud factories but oh well you know we were sleeping so it was just kind of like noise in the background while you were sleeping yeah it was so lush and green though aside from the background noise <laughs> and uh yeah, the the next day, you know, we get up early and it's kind of a chilly morning. It's it's not supposed to rain, but yet it's it's sprinkling, sputtering on us. Like a produce section. Yeah, yeah, it's like sprinkling. a Mister in the produce <laughs> section or a Mrs. You know, I'm not gender biased. <laughs> and um, we make our little coffee on the hobo stove. And the highlight, I'd say, the highlight of this trip, and I think <laughs> Teresa would agree, is. We're like walking back and, you know, we're just looking at the map now. We're not following directions. It's just the quickest way back to the van. So we're walking along Highway 70 and we're like, why the fuck didn't we walk it like this way up here? You know, this has got a wide shoulder. It's much more pleasant. It's shorter. And like, you know, when you're walking along roads, you're not really looking for them to be longer. Like, <laughs> you know, like get us to the nature areas, the trails. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to hitchhike and again, no luck. I don't know how much of this has to do with having a dog, how much of this has to do with, uh, the pandemic or how much of this has to do with just, we're not lucky right now with hitchhiking. But speaking of luck, um, this woman in a van and her husband pull over and, um, like she gets out and she calls us over and we cross the road in front of this gas station and she's just checking on us. She can't give us a ride, she says, but she, do we need help? Do we need money? Do we need to make a phone call? And so that's really nice. And we decline the money, the help, because uh, all we need is a ride. And so when she leaves, we're like, well, we're in front of this gas station. Let's just, uh, you know, Teresa's going to go in and get us a couple breakfast biscuits and take a little break there. And Teresa goes in and uh, buys us some biscuits and orders them, comes out, goes back in to pick them up. And the woman like 
calls her, like, come here for a second, and gives her a free bag of dog food. Which, of course, when you're backpacking. But it yeah, was it's, a, it's a mixed blessing. <laughs> and $25. So Teresa's coming out with this $25 free bag of dog food. We're like, wow, we just turned down money in this van, and now this woman didn't even, you know, give us a chance to decline. It's like, here you go. Here's yeah, a gift. I didn't tell her. I mean, I don't go into places and say, like, we really need some money and some dog food. I was buying breakfast, and I asked her how far away the intersection was that we, that Gumby and I were looking for. And she just took it upon herself to, you know, give this stuff. She saw that we had a dog outside, so yeah. that's where the there dog are food. perks to uh, getting out and exercising and looking like warmed over shit. <laughs> and then, and then, as we're eating this biscuit, a mailman comes by, and um, he says he leans out and he's got like a twenty dollar bill, and he says, "Here, here you go. Buy yourself some breakfast." And I try to decline it. I say, "We've already, we're actually eating breakfast." And he says, "Buy some more." <laughs> So now we got another twenty dollars, and we're like, "Wow!" And I'm like, "Teresa, let's get out of here before like more people give us money." <laughs> I'm starting to feel bad or something. So we're like, "Pack up," and we don't go another mile down the road before a, another van slows down, beeps the horn at us, and an old man leans out with twenty dollars, and he says, "Buy that dog some food." <laughs> So we made $65 just walking our hobo asses down the road. Sherlock, um, our dog is finally paying off. Yep. <laughs> Free bag of dog food. And then with all the bungees I was finding on the roadside and a carabiner and a whole big stretch of mule tape, which is really good for all kinds of projects. Um, it was a really lucrative scavenging walk. And that's always one of my favorite things about whether I'm hitchhiking or doing the mountains of sea trail is the roads themselves aren't that fun, but the interactions, you, you often often have interactions with the friendliest people and it's often financially beneficial. It warms your heart because the people are nice and the scavenging is so, uh, I love scavenging. It always feels like a Christmas present, an Easter egg, you know, like I wasn't expecting this. I didn't have to give anything for it. It's just pure gift. Thank you, Jesus. And the lady at the, the gas station convenience store thing where we got the biscuits and she gave us money and dog food, she even gave us a little pack of bacon for Sherlock. Yeah. And I love the diversity of the <laughs> kindness. The woman who pulled over first in her van um, they were an interracial couple. Mm -hmm. So her husband was uh, driving a black man and she was a white woman that got out. Um, who knows what their politics are? You know, we can surmise they might be Democrat, but that's not always true. So they're the first people that offered kindness. The black man or the, the mailman was a black man who gave us $20. And then the woman inside, I didn't meet her, but I, the way you described her, I was picturing it like was a very country, country white woman, story, probably yeah. a Trump supporter. And then the old man that gave us 20 bucks. Who knows? Yeah, I picture them maybe like on their way to church or something, like maybe a Trump supporter. And there but was I, a, it was just a diversity of people that like kindness can come from anywhere. And that's one of the things I love about getting out there is if you're not getting vulnerable and exposing yourself to that, you know, you got to be careful where you expose yourself. That's illegal <laughs> in some states. But Maryland. You know, I see so many leftists that are calling the other side. They're all fascists. They're all bigots. They're all hate mongers. And I see so many people on the other side that are like, oh, the fucking Democrats, the leftists. They're all like selfish and you know, self-absorbed, yeah. and and they don't give a shit about anybody. But man, you just see like kindness coming from so many different people, different looking faces, different political ideologies. And, and that's one, so beautiful. There was one other lady. She was an older lady when we were walking on that horribly busy She actually road. had a giant Trump sign in her yard. Yeah. And she, it was a really busy road. 
um, she had two little dogs and oh man, like we had walked, uh, this was years ago now, but we were walking on the mountains to the sea trail in a different place. And we actually saw a dog get hit in the road because it was barking and it was coming across the street and it got hit. So we didn't want anything like that to happen to our dog or to hers, but she was so nice. She was asking like, well, where are you going? And you want some cold water? You want to stop and take a rest? And we just, we didn't want to overly complicate things with all the dogs and the the traffic, like hell being right there in her front yard. But it's those type of people too, that are just like so willing to open up. And and she was asking where we were going. And (laughs) I, I loved her response. I said, well, we're following these directions. It's a, it's a part of a hiking trail and we're, we're trying to get to this park. And she goes, why don't you just drive? It's like, no kidding. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel a lot of the times hiking this trail. But damn it, we're going to finish it. Yeah, and, and part of my favorite part of this hiking the trail is the part that reminds me of hitchhiking. So I think what I really enjoy is kind of the hitchhiking, as long as I can remember to get off the road sometimes and walk some nature trails. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're halfway through, so we're pretty determined to see this through. Yeah, and hopefully yeah, we we know because when we get we go in the mountains in our van, we cross the mountains of sea trail all the time. We see signs for it. So oh, once yeah. we once we get further west, it's going to be a lot more uh, in the woods. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kato, just thinking about uh, something else that you shared when I was over in Utah, and then we listened to some of these when I got back. The other podcasts, not just our podcast. We don't we don't just exclusively listen to our own podcast. Yeah, you know, if you've listened to all of our episodes like three times and you're, you know, <laughs> wanting to dabble in kind of the B-rated shit now, um, <sighs> after you've exhausted our A-rated podcast, um, there I have heard some really good interviews lately. There was uh, Resistance Radio, Derek Jensen interviewed Josh Slocum and, uh, oh man, how do I... <laughs> How do I talk about this without sounding even more like an asshole? Diplomatically. I'm trying. It's not my strength. <laughs> so Josh Slocum, he is really like came down on, you know, kind of the the trans movement and kind of the leftist. He says the leftist has been in the, the left, the left. Yeah, I guess the left has been infected with like what he calls complex B, a mental disorder. And to hear him talk about this, he makes so much sense. You know, you can accept parts of it. Uh, debate parts of it, but it's really interesting to hear him talk about. He's definitely on to something. And one of the things I love about this guy is he's gay. And um, the left has, through this whole like trans cancel culture, entitlement, um, pushed people like me so fucking much that sometimes I have to wonder, have I become homophobic? Am I what they say I am? <laughs> like, I don't even like the word. Am I, do I have a fear of gay people? I don't think so. It's not what it feels like. And to hear this guy talk and, uh, you know, he sounds like a gay guy. I, li- <laughs> I was listening to one of his episodes and he was like, okay, so, you know, if, if people are calling you an, ab- are an abuser, stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> you know, and I, I loved his style, but I realized it's not that I have anything against the way anybody lives. It's that so many people are getting sucked up into this camp of insanity that you start thinking, maybe I do have something against these kinds of people because it's so rare to hear like people that make certain choices in their life say things that make sense to you, that don't shut you out. Um, I don't know if any of that made sense, but... That's one of the things I loved about that Josh Slocum interview is like, I just felt kind of like, man, I have, yeah, 
it was just a great interview. And he does his own podcast, Disaffected, um, which is really interesting. And I listened to, like I said, one episode, and I didn't agree with everything he said, but a really interesting guy. It's it's good also to just see what other opinions and information are out there, even if you disagree. It's okay. Yeah, and I feel like so many gay people, for whatever reason, have been sucked up by the liberal left and people that are otherwise very rational, you know, that are just making whatever life choices feel appropriate to them, get caught up in an ideology that is geared to co-opt people, you know, like, oh, you are gay? Then trust me, these are your politics. Mm-hmm. Identity politics. It's a package right? deal, yeah. you know, like, and everybody on the other camp, trust me, they're racist, they hate you anyway. And that's another thing Josh Slocum talked about that I loved. He said, I used to feel like people that voted differently than me and everything hated me. They hated who I was. But I've realized over the years as an openly gay man living with my boyfriend or husband, I'm not sure if he's married, but these people, like some of my best friends, are people that are on the the far right. And there wasn't so much hatred as I'd been taught towards me. Mm -hmm. And so it's like somebody that broke free of that ideology that tries to claim certain groups of people. For me, they tried to claim me too because I'm an environmentalist. There was a time that I thought because I care about nature, Mm. I must be on the left. And uh, yeah, I just, I love hearing from people, whether it's because you're gay, because you're environmentalist, because whatever, that you broke free from that ideology and realized like, oh no, they're not going to trap me with that shit. Yeah, when I was um, when I was out in Utah, I was just kind of like, uh, like I said, I was a little bored, and for some reason, I wasn't actually prepared to talk about this, but there's like all sorts of labels out there for everything. I mean, like for sexuality, there's like asexual, gray sexual, demisexual, which sounds lovely, and all of these things. I'm just wondering. Who the fuck cares what you call it? Just be who you are. And I think we would actually get along better. It's so divisive. Yeah. And and why do you need a specific label for everything about yourself? Don't you think that that's like some sort of design to, like you were saying, like drive a wedge between people? You don't have to have a label for who you are. Just be who you are. Damn. And if you let those labels go, a lot of those other groups that you think are pitted against you, you might realize either they're absolutely not or there's a lot less like they're not having little meetings trying to figure out how to destroy you. They might have other (laughs) things they care about and there might be a lot more fucking overlap in what they care about and what you care about when you drop these stupid goddamn boxes. And who do these boxes serve? It's not us. It doesn't serve us to be in our little boxes. So, yeah, just keeps us divided and weak. Same old story. There was another episode that you shared with me. I forget what the woman's name was. I think Sarah something, but it was the House of Your podcast. Yeah, that was on Kelly Moody's Ground Shots podcast. And, yeah, that was another really interesting episode. This this woman has done hoboing, train hopping, um, led a really rugged nomadic life and lived out in the woods part of the time by herself, like the wilds with no electricity in Alaska. Um, But one of the more interesting parts of that interview, I thought, is when she's talking about coyote energy. And she's saying, like, this is one of the things I don't like about cancel culture because there's that roomy quote of, like, where the wound is is where the light comes in. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you've got to be able to 
engage with the things that challenge you, that maybe even like hurt you sometimes, you know, like don't just put yourself in a bubble. It's those very things, that coyote, that help us grow, that help us have wisdom. Exactly. And so this cancel culture, just shutting out like, oh, I can't hear you, you know, like you shouldn't even have a platform to talk. I completely um, cancel you. You know, it's just, it's not wise. It doesn't help us. And Jesus Christ, anybody taking a step back and like taking their head out of their ass long enough to get a good breath of air. (laughs) I mean, look around, you can see it. You don't need somebody to even tell you that. Look at what's happening. Yeah, there was something else on uh, on the Facebook that I was noticing after refriending or refollowing people, and that were that was a lot of memes. Everybody loves these memes, um, basically talking about oh, if you see someone that's struggling, you know, don't add to their struggle. Just know that it it doesn't always look the same for everyone. It's like no shit. Everybody has struggles, and. Yeah, be nice to people, but if somebody isn't nice to you, maybe that's their struggle. So, yeah. I don't know. And a lot of those same bastards that'll post that, and I've seen <laughs> it over and over, are the same ones that, like, a little later in the day, saying, like, oh, there's a new study out that all Trump supporters are racist. and Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, just, like, completely hate-filled shit. But to them, you know, anything that's hate hateful against the other camp is rational is justified yeah they're speaking truth to power yeah but anything that they might feel a little threatened by that needs to be canceled like you know chill out like why don't you just like stop picking on me love trump's hate quit shaming me (laughs) get a grip (laughs) we're all going through shit and yes it does look different some people aren't snotty babies as we were called (laughs) sherlock just sighed (laughs) Um, and there was one other podcast. I don't know if you want to talk about this, but the Ice Age, was it called Ice Age Farmer? Yeah, he's called the Ice Age Farmer. Uh, he gets into some stuff. I don't, I don't, it's hard for me to talk about because it's really technical, but I heard an interview called Conversation with Ice Age Farmer on the Propaganda Report. Um, so just if you're looking for something to listen to, that was really interesting. Um, I don't know if you want to talk more about that. The only thing, um, that I can that I want to speak to at the moment because I didn't write anything down about controlling this. Controlling the food. That Contro- was interesting. Well, you, will you talk about that? I was um, I was already, before Gumby shared this pod, that podcast with me, the Ice Age Farmer guy, um, which, again, I don't know enough, and I don't know if I want to know all of what that guy is talking about. But I was already starting to be interested in the idea of the poles shifting because Gumby... You had seen something about, like, indigenous people that live, like, in the Arctic Circle, and they were talking about how something is changing. Like, things are not the same when we look up at the sky. And so that that really started to kind of tug at my brain, and I was interested to learn a little bit more about that. And I think he talked about that. The uh, the food thing, yeah, I mean, I, I am always concerned about the food supply because I'm a little obsessed with food, but... Yeah, I'm not going to go into any depth because I'm not prepared to try to talk at all intelligently about this. But one of the things he explores that's really interesting is uh, that there are reasons to suspect that we're heading into a food shortage and that possibly the powers that be have uh, seen this coming for a lot longer than many of the rest of us. 
and that many of the things happening now might be in preparation for this food shortage. Because when we look at the cycles, when governments and when empires are overthrown, um, it lines up really closely to when food shortages occur. Because that's when people, you know, as long as you got a fat belly, you're like, I'll put up with a lot of shit. But when your family's starving, it's time to, uh, you know, gather up your arms to fight back, to, to change some things. And, you know, when you look at kind of the, the way politics are heading now, um, there are so many things coming into play that uh, are geared towards controlling our food. At the same time, we're getting increasingly divided and disarmed. You know, there's so many weird news stories. Like I remember that insurrection when that happened. One of the first things I saw a lot of people say when that happened is like, this doesn't seem right. This is weird. Something's wrong with this story. I mean, most all of us (laughs) knew it when we saw it. Like, what the hell? This is not what it seems. And uh, there's just story after story that are like, I feel like this is the government playing chess. We talked about this a little bit in uh, On Passant, one of our episodes about chess. But they're creating situations not because it's about that situation, but because it's setting them up to make the next move. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's some sobering shit. And it really inspired me more to try to uh, take more control of my food wherever I can. Um, And he ties it in with contrails, with... uh, uh, animals being killed and the excuses they use for like killing chickens and for killing oh culling the herd culling the herd and the minks you know what was that Sweden something Denmark or something Denmark or somewhere like that where they killed a whole bunch of minks because apparently Millions. yeah there was supposed to be some mutated form of COVID nineteen that these minks were harboring in their their little furry bodies so let's just you know set a precedent where the way we handle that is to decimate millions of lives. Uh, I mean, it's just, it was, talk about going down a rabbit hole. If you're interested in like these little ideas that go down rabbit holes, the Ice Age Farmer really takes you down the one. (laughs) And speaking of going down a rabbit hole, I guess uh, the final thing that I was going to mention is after all that, coming back, hiking, watching movies and, uh, and listening to podcasts, Gumby had gotten the book Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk. Yeah, I never read it. Been familiar with the movie for many years, but I finally got around to reading it. And I just want to say, like, we actually started watching the movie last night. I fall asleep during movies, so, of course, I couldn't make it all the way through. But it just reinstilled what I already thought when we started reading the book, which is, you've got to read the book. The book has a totally different feel to it. It's a, you said nuance. I said I don't know. It's kind of like, not that it's polished, like professional, but it's got a certain energy to it versus the movie. The movie's good. Yeah. The book is actually a pretty thin book. It's not like a big, thick Stephen King type book. And we're not quite done with it yet. We've got a few more chapters. Um, But when you watch the movie, there is a lot. It sticks pretty close to the movie. The book does, or the movie sticks close to the book. But there's a way he tells it that, for instance, there's this scene we just watched in Fight Club where uh, Ed Norton is going in to talk to his boss, and he starts, like, beating the shit out of himself. And then as, as he's beating himself, he's saying, please, please, stop, don't hit me, and then he punches himself, and the boss is just stunned that this guy is doing something so crazy. <laughs> but the way it's told in the book, it has a whole different feel um, because it's emphasized 
Tyler keeps saying, have you hit rock bottom yet? Don't be scared to hit rock bottom. And that scene in the book is about, I've got nothing to lose. I've already come so close to rock bottom that I will do shit you can't even wrap your mind around. You, you've got everything to lose. You've got your wealth, you've got your job, you've got your reputation, you've got, you know, the list goes on and on. So instead of that making you powerful, like society teaches, you've got so much, it makes you so weak because mm. you've got so much to lose. It's a house of cards. It's a house of glass. You're fragile. And it reminded me of that Janis Joplin line, freedom. Chris Christopherson. Oh, yeah. Chris Christopherson actually wrote uh, me and my Bobby McGee, Bobby McGee, and uh, freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. <laughs> and just little things like that that were in the book. And another thing that stood out to me in the book that I did not get from the movie was at one point he's talking about, and this was kind of mentioned in the movie, but it wasn't. It's so fast. Yeah, you just it kind of got glossed over. But in the book, you kind of pause with it a little bit more. And he's talking about, I want to kill all the fish. I want to dump all the oil tankers into the ocean. I want to fill the earth with black smoke. And, you know, the tree hugger in me is kind of wincing like, oh, God damn. Like, <laughs> I don't want to do that. But. Then Aren't we doing that anyway? I thought about what he was getting at. And what I got from that after I thought about it a little bit is he's saying, let's hit rock bottom. Because this is already happening. The fish are being poisoned. The air is being poisoned. But it's happening just slow enough that it, as we sip our lattes that we can accept it. It's, it's done tastefully. When I sit in the house with my K-cup Keurig you know, coffee or chai or whatever. I'm not thinking about all the implications of that. And we still feel like we have so much to lose. But what if all the oil tankers, if we're going to allow these fucking oil tankers to still exist, what if all that shit went to the ocean right now? What if all the fucking worst things that like, you know, we're, 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 kind of holding on to hope like oh it'll just get figured out they'll just like the little fairies will pick up this nuclear waste and they'll figure it out science will figure out what science messed up what if it got dumped in our laps right now what if we hit rock bottom and there's no place but up we have to scramble we have to fight that's one of the things i loved about the trump administration um i don't consider myself a trump supporter but as soon as he got elected i was thinking this motherfucker is not a politician <laughs> stuff's about to get crazy and sure enough, over the next four years, everybody's on their feet. Everybody's outraged. There's cars being turned over, set on fire. Statues are getting tipped over. I mean, just everybody's throwing a temper tantrum. And I'm like, yes, finally, we're getting closer to the third world countries. We're not the privileged people in our calm little artsy fartsy fucking apartments anymore. And now. <laughs> and now Biden shows up with the sleeping pill. Mm -hmm. Now. We're all getting fucked just as deep, just as hard, but by a pleasantly diverse administration. Oh, yes. You got to love it. <laughs> so uh, Read the book. Yeah, yeah, definitely highly recommend Chuck Palahniuk's Fight Club, the book. And uh, Gumby, was there anything else that you wanted to share in this episode? I didn't really, I didn't have anything specifically in my mind. I was just kind of rolling with uh, your 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 points you're bringing up, and I think we're about out of time. So if you got anything you're excited about, um, I wouldn't worry about the, the clock, but no, not for me. The only other thing I was going to add for this check-in, this mile marker, is that now more than ever, um, and Gumby, I think you might have, I'm not, I don't remember exactly, but in your audio journal, I think you were kind of flirting with this idea that the only 
thing, the only person that we're going to change is ourselves, the influence that we have. So why not start there? Yeah, more and more. And yeah, I think I I did talk about this a little bit, but we're feeling like the the real work is ourselves. I'm so tired of worrying about the fucking corporations and like, you know, people are talking about take down civilization. How the fuck are you going to take down civilization? You're there's, sucking at its teat. There's a reason why nobody's taking down <laughs> civilization. And this, the people that actually do anything towards taking down civilization, which seems pretty ineffective, are still empowering it. There's a hypocrisy in it. Yeah. And I guess what I'm getting more and more interested in is a path where I free myself. And I don't think that's a selfish thought. I think that's a how am I truly going to show anybody the door out if I haven't found it myself and proven that it does indeed lead outside of the prison? So, yeah, that's that's what I'm kind of uh, feeling more reinforced in myself. You know, we explored a lot of episodes where I, I explored the other direction, you know, like really fighting um, using violence. And I'm not anti-violence, you know, if there's a way to do it effectively, but you get to a point where you got to question, how come nobody's doing this? And the few people that are, how come it's just so uh, impotent? A drop in the bucket. Maybe it's not the right path. Maybe it's time to relook at this whole thing and re-explore our resistance. I, I debated with one guy about this because I was saying, you know, like changing yourself is really what you have power over, not changing the corporations. And he was saying, so what, you just want to give up the fight? I'm like, no, it's not about either fighting or not fighting. It's about what kind of fight is the most effective, what works. I can start to change myself and see results by tomorrow. Yeah. I'm waiting for somebody to show me one single corporation that gets taken down by any of these measures that people are fighting with. I think it's time to really reevaluate our strategy. Mm-hmm. And I see role models, you know, from uh, Suelo, the man who quit money, uh, Peace Pilgrim, even Christopher McCandless. You know, uh, we just heard about the North Pond Hermit. Um, Christopher Knight. Christopher Knight, yeah. Gandhi, Tecumseh. Um, so many people that even if it, Robin Hood, even if it leads them to afterwards fighting, first I see that they deeply change themselves. And I think that is hugely missing. Mm-hmm. Who knows where that's going to lead? That might lead you a peace pilgrim road. That might lead you more like Robin Hood, where you fight and take up arms and lead people. But first, know where the hell you're going. And that's all I have to say about that. Well, awesome. I think this was a good check-in. I'm going to call it good. I'm going to read a listener write-in that we have. This one is Richard from Creedmoor, North Carolina. you got to do a North Carolina accent. All right. I think all you have I to do. I was. <laughs> well, well, you got to say Shazam and oh. golly, golly. Listen to the podcast for the first time today. Not disappointed. I forgot you're not originally from the South. <laughs> I forgot y'all are not originally from around here. <laughs> you ain't from around here. Uh, you and Teresa are both so well spoken. Rednecks. Well done, my friend. I will be listening to the entire backlog. Good luck, Richard. (laughs) Yeah. Richard and I actually went to school together, and when I was a kid in high school, he lived down the road, and I'd go over his house every now and then and play Dungeons and Dragons. And Richard, (laughs) just because he wrote us a nice message, don't forget or don't think I forgot that you stole my fucking Metallica cassette. (laughs) I remember that shit. Oh, my goodness. So if we ever run into you, I'm expecting Metallica, Metallica, Black Album, Cassette. 
I expect that to be returned to me because it is now vintage. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you all, all seven of our listeners or whatever, mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for tuning in. This is season eight. And, uh, oh, yeah, our website, escapingsociety.weebly, with a B, dot com, has a lot of cool stuff on there, links to our uh, hitchhiking and backpacking adventures, information, YouTube videos, all that stuff. And on Facebook, Escaping Society, because, you know, that's that's how we escape society. We get on Facebook <laughs> and make podcasts. For now, we're a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Feeding the server farms. Gobble, gobble, gobble. Bye. Oh, society sucks and we don't need it. It's killing your kids, so why do you feed it? They'll tell you to stay, but you don't need to heed it. You can give them the finger. There's no time to linger. So, thank you for listening to our song. It's not very good and it went kind of long. Don't care if you like it, cause we'll be gone. Over that next horizon. We ain't got no eyes.